This episode is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn up to 4.58% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you have to ask yourself, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Interactive Brokers' prudent and comprehensive, as well as conservative risk management, uniquely positions IBKR to pay you far higher interest. That's just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. Rates, of course, are subject to change. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Banks are still in trouble with no end in sight. We're going to be talking about whether ChatGPT is going to end civilization as we know it, or maybe enhance it. Also, the topic of uncertainty. We have our guest today, Dr. Richard Smith, known as the doctor of uncertainty, talking to us about all things related to, well, what we have to understand about our intelligence, our abilities, and execution. All this and much more on episode number 817 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. And welcome to another episode of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Of course, every week. The last, how long is it now? I don't know. It's since 2008, seven that we've been doing this, so we have plenty of time under the belt. This is not a newbie-style podcast, and it's not one that just talks in and around theory. This is something that we do each and every week to bring to you the information you need to get better educated in the world of finance. So thank you so much for believing in me and believing in yourself that you, too, can be on the road to financial uh, independence, success. You fill in the blank of what you want it to be, and that's what we're doing right here in and right now. You know, by the way, I wrote a book back when, this is where it all started. I wrote a book back in um, 2007 and my publisher said, what about, what about doing a podcast to promote the book? And I said, what the hell is a podcast? That's a true story. And uh, flew out to Cupertino, spent some time with the, the folks at Apple as they were really just beginning the, the journey into podcasting back then. And figured it all out. Got some really good friends in the in the uh, in, in the area of podcasting, and and it's been uh, quite an extraordinary experience. So thank you. Uh, if I didn't mention I'm Andrew Horowitz, I don't think I mentioned that yet. Uh, I am the the president of Horowitz, the company. I'm also the host of this show. I've also been the host of many shows throughout the years, and this is like I said, what we do each and every day. So if you are wondering what the heck should I do right now, well, you've come to the right place to listen in and maybe even get involved if you want to work with us. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on the things that have happened over the last several days since uh, last week. We know that there's been a lot of news, a lot of headlines, a lot of headline risk. We know that inflation is still cruising along at a pretty good clip. We know that we're seeing a very, I would say, very strange economic indicators, and it would be probably unsettling in any other time, except for the fact that we know that many of the charts that we have right now to look at when it comes to even earnings, but economic information over the last five years is they're just, they're unusable. The reason they're unusable is because of what happened during COVID. The extraordinary amount of unemployed, there's no way to get rid of that on the chart unless we just chop it right off. And then the recovery and both sides of that were impressive. They were historical. Probably never going to see anything like that again. The reversionary process, the reversion to the mean, what we see most often time and time again, whether it's on earnings or companies or stocks or, 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 or revenues or in economics where you give a little bit, then take some back, right? Get back to the normalization trend is really what I think is going on right now. That doesn't mean that we have to necessarily go as far 
as we did with regard to the overall, um, I guess with with the with the loss that we had, we had the big recovery. Do we have to see the the turn 100% down again? No, it's going to be somewhere in the middle. The fact is that if you think about the downstroke that we saw due to COVID when everything was shut down, and then the reversal of that over the next however many months it took to really reverse a lot of that, we're just right now starting to smooth it out. It's like driving a car and pushing on the gas and taking your foot off and pushing on the gas and taking your foot off and pushing on your gas and taking the foot off. That's the way my grandfather drove, and it was nauseating. That's what's going on with the environment right now. It will basically give us an averaging effect. We're still traveling at 55 miles an hour over time, but we may be going 80 and 30 and 90 and, and, and 45. But that's, I think, what is happening right now. So let's keep on going and see how far this is going to run and if, in fact, some of the players smarten up, calm down, get their act together, realize that this is all part of the process and the cycle, dare I say it, which we talked about a few weeks ago when I talked about the cycles are the cycles. They don't change. They just get a little wider, a little fatter, a little narrower, a little taller, a little shorter. But they're all the same. Not much more can happen when it comes to economics. So uh, something I think it's important to understand and to, to really spend some time considering. I want to get some good timing with our guest today because I've talked in the past two, two, two times before, and I think that there's a lot of information he can impart. So without hearing me drone on right now and go through all the different variations of what's happening in economics and earnings, let's, 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 just, let's spend some time with our guest. And our guest today is Dr. Richard Smith. I call him the doctor of uncertainty. He studied mathematics at UC Berkeley, earned a PhD in systems science from the Watson School of Engineering in SUNY Binghamton under the late Professor George Clear, and he served as chairman of the board and executive director of the Foundation of Study of Cycles, an international not-for-profit uh, that promotes and conducts research on cycles and how they can be used to make the world a better place. I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. He's He's been all over the place. Uh, we've talked many times. And uh, welcome back to the Discipline Investor Podcast. Appreciate you being on. Ah, it's great to be with you, Andrew. Thanks for that great intro. You like that? I can. I can. I, I like can, it. I that was well a, done. Thank you. I could do a voiceover <laughs> if you like it. You know, for something. Anyway, I might listen, take it. Uh, they call you. You call. Somebody calls you. Somehow you got the name Doctor of Uncertainty. I don't know why they didn't call you like Mister Vix. But tell me a little bit about that and and bring me up to date of how that you know that 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 slang term for who you are came to be. Yeah. So. Uh, it start, kind of started out as a joke. It was on literally my graduation cake after I finished my PhD. My mom made me a cake and it said doctor of uncertainty. Really? <laughs> so, uh, well, at least I did, I did my PhD. <clears throat> no, I did my PhD on how researchers and scientists can be more, uh, honest about the uncertainty that they're dealing with, that we're dealing with in our models. Okay. Oh, so what my experience is that most people, when it comes to uncertainty are uncomfortable with it and, oh, yeah. uh, and, and tend to stick their heads in the sand about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is true, not just, uh, you know, for the average, uh, man or woman on the streets, but it's true when it comes to um, some of our best scientists and researchers too, we're all using probability theory, um, the mathematics of probability in order to kind of quantify an uncertainty. And, um, but that is, there's very, there's limitations to probability theory. Um, it's not really that uh, useful in the real world or that reflective of how the real world works. And so I've always been fascinated and interested in kind of how we deal with uncertainty. And I think it's a real strength when we acknowledge uncertainty and we work with it instead of pretending like it doesn't exist and, and looking for false certainties. You know, you start talking about the word uncertainty and I start thinking about that just for a moment in the world that we live in. And essentially I start to think, I'm just, my mind, as you were talking, my mind was wandering about all sorts of different things that are essentially certain versus uncertain in this, I think, I don't know, most things lean towards the uncertain, don't they? 
They absolutely do. And the world we're living in, Andrew, I think is just uh, um, rife with uh, all kinds of peddling of false certainties. Yeah, well, and it's one of the things that really bothers me. You know, well, I mean, <laughs> that, especially uh, well, you live in the world of investing. You know, all these people that come on various TV shows to talk talk their book and all that. You know, right. it's, it's it's funny because yesterday I got so frustrated. I was driving in my car and on came blank, blank, blank. You know, four letters of a uh, CNBC. Maybe it could have been. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I heard somebody talking, and they said they were saying, "Well, you know, if the stock drops, I feel it's going to be a really good time to buy." I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait. You don't know what's going to happen. You think it's going to happen. You have, again, back to uncertainty, right? But no matter really what the result is going to be, it's going to be something like this. What do you think about ABC stock? Well, if it drops due to its earnings, I think it's going to be a very viable place to start adding to my position or increasing. Well, what if it increases after earnings? Well, it's going to confirm my thesis, right? (laughs) And I'm going to buy more shares. Uh, so, So basically... We are in a very binary mode of, in, in this circumstance, yeah. I'm bringing it up here. Of and how buying. about politics? Well, about politics, there is no certainty <laughs> there at all. And, and talk about the Fed. But so, there's constantly um, false certainties being put forward. Like, we have the answers. No, well, you don't. No, they don't have the answers. They don't have the answers. The Fed doesn't have the answers. No more than you or I have the answers. Let's be honest about this. As If we're going to be, talk honestly here about this, the truth is we have our best judgment. That's a better way to look at it, right? Our best Absolutely. guess. And, and the Absolutely. problem with that is we also overlay, um, uh, what is that called? Oh, it's coming to my tip. It's a two, when you have, the, the, you, you have too much confidence in your opinion. Um. Uh, let's see. Overconfidence? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a syndrome. Hubris? Oh, uh, a syndrome. Mm. Uh, Confirmation bias? Well, that too. We have that also. Let me see what it's called. But you have too much confidence, but don't know. But 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 don't know. Con artist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, when you have this situation that goes on, you know, you have too much of this going on. What That's creating a false narrative or a false... Confident, uh, for, false um, yes. confidence in this, and then it, it it where does that get anybody? I, I think where, I think its main function in our uh, kind of digital and media lives is to set us up for failure, mm. and to you know I think that most of what passes Andrew for. Uh, involvement in the markets, like on a day trading or swing trading basis, is really a constant manipulation of um, of our thoughts and feelings to set us up to be on the wrong side of uh, oh. of a big move that's coming. So it's kind of like you a know? big rug pull. Yes, it's a big rug pull. Right. Absolutely, and and everything that I see, you know, I think that there are very savvy uh, market participants who know, you know, where all of these blind spots are and who are essentially kind of, uh, let's see if we can get the ship to, you know, tip over this way. So everybody runs over to this side right before we pull it back the other way. Right. right? And um, that's fascinating that, that that's not uncertainty. Now that's certainty. They are pretty certain of what they know and they're, they're they're playing on, on, on everybody else's uncertainty. They're actually inducing, I think, a, a false certainty. They, on the other hand, are actually quite savvy about yes. uncertainty. There you go. There you and go. they're actually, you know, doing something called risk warehousing. Oh. And I know this isn't necessarily like where that. we plan to go today. Let's, but let's go. Let's go. Look, if you look at what, say, for example, Citadel is doing, right? Ken yeah. Griffin mm-hmm. and Citadel. Mm-hmm. Citadel Securities. And Citadel, the hedge fund, I can't really quite figure out if there's any, uh, um, you know, firewall between Citadel Securities, the market maker, and Citadel, the hedge fund. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, there isn't. Yes. But, um, but Citadel, the market maker, is actually warehousing risk, okay? So, you know, you remember the GameStop and meme stock sure. frenzy, right? Sure. Well, look, they can they can... Um, sell that risk 
into a, a market, you know, madness event. And then they can put it on the shelf and they can keep it in their warehouse, in their risk warehouse for a couple of years or for 12 months or whatever it takes, you know, and then bring it back out on the market when they can, uh, you know, buy it back at a cheaper price. So there, that's literally, you know, what's going on. A lot of the market structure these days, especially for well, especially what most options, retail investors options. are interested in right. and options. This is something we talked about is the zero day options or the, or the near options. When you have a gamma, like we had a couple of few weeks ago, yeah. we talked about this, this gamma squeeze where you have options that are being uh, bought. And obviously uh, to cover the risk, the option seller has to buy the stock underneath. And as the stock goes up, they are really right. starting to get stressed out and they buy more and they cover more and the options are bought and more. And it just inevitably moves everything up. That in itself yeah. is great for a few days. It usually flops quickly afterwards. But the thing, I'm Did just going to rewind that, uh, for a second. Robin Hood just yes. announced they're going to do 24-hour trading. <laughs> yep, yep. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So, so the thing I want to mention is um, about what we were talking about, the, the, the phrase I couldn't remember, the, the, the condition sure. I couldn't remember. Okay. And, and I want to bring it back because now I remember it. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is a ah, – let me okay. just read right from the wiki – which is a cognitive bias whereby people with low ability, expertise, or experience regarding a certain type of task or area of knowledge tend to overestimate their ability or knowledge. Some researchers <laughs> also include the opposite effect for high performers, their tendency to underestimate their skills, mm. blah, 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 blah. So that just to, to dumb this down. Kruger was like the, uh, the, the place where everybody worked at the office, right? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, the, <laughs> the office, the, the TV show. Clearly, the TV show. yeah, clearly, <laughs> right? Clearly, yeah. thought that they were especially the the top brass there that they thought that they had all this ability, but they were just not. They were just you know silly and 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 uh, and it was very unfounded. Let's yeah. take that to the discussion of uncertainty as well as uh, I guess markets, right? Because that ties right yeah. together with people's thinking that they know and not recognizing or at least. Uh, seeing any uncertainty out there, just go full bore right head first into the brick wall. Yeah. Yep. So, that, so that so, is what most people do. <laughs> so how do you, how, so let's talk about that. How do you stop that from happening? How do you identify it? Yeah. So I think that there's a couple of things that are very, that have been very important and valuable to me um, over the years and that have withstood the test of time, you know, or stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. And a big one is uh, exposure or position size, right? So see what happens, Andrew, is that, um, you know, let's see, how can I say this easily? So when you're in the markets, if you're, uh, exposure in the markets is, you know, too big or too small, mm -hmm. right? Then you're going to end up kind of uh, in a vulnerable position where the rug can get pulled out from under you. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Yep. So um, for me, I just use like a standard deviation measure, right? Like what's the volatility of my position? Okay. Right. What's the volatility of my overall portfolio? How exposed am I? And am I comfortable with that level of exposure? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I want to be in the markets, you know, if I've got money that I'm going to have in the markets for a couple of years, let's say I've got a hundred thousand dollars and, you know, over that uh, period of time, I uh, can see that, you know, my portfolio could fluctuate as much as 50%. Am I Okay with being down $50,000. It's not going to be great. I'm not going to be thrilled about it, but can I live with it? Right. Right? Yes. So I think that's very important. Risk How can we monitor our exposure, right? And then the other thing that drives, you know, your exposure in the markets is the, um, are your positions, your different positions uncorrelated to one another? So I know I'm throwing out some technical terms, if you will, like exposure and, and uncorrelated, <laughs> but, yeah. but this yeah. is the basics of uncertainty of, 
of using uncertainty to our advantage in the markets, okay? So, you know, Ray Dalio famously said the Holy Grail portfolio is 15 to 20 good, uncorrelated return streams. And I'm a big believer in that Holy Grail philosophy. It's what I aspire to do in my own investing and trading is to kind of have a collection of bets that are uncorrelated to one another but that on the whole, I believe are going to go up. But those, but those can't all be in the equity area because that. But equities pretty much have a high right. correlation. You're talking about things yeah. like maybe, I'm just going to throw this out. Sure. If I'm right, like a limited partnership, maybe, maybe some private equity, maybe some uh, art, maybe some rental properties, sure. maybe, and uh, you know, different different countries, right? Yeah. Different asset classes. Um, I'm in the futures markets myself, uh-huh. so there's okay. a lot of different ways that you can. Um, that you can, yeah, you can minimize see. the correlation. Skin the cat, your as we say. Bets. Skinning yes. the cat. Yep. I have a story about that that I uh, made a mistake. I'll tell you really quickly, and then we're going to just break for a second. I want to ask you about, <laughs> about a story about skinning a cat. Yes, it was sure a terrible story. I have a client <laughs> who 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 is a charity. We do a bunch of charitable work for you know charity. Uh, handle the assets of, of nonprofits. And uh, this is a cat rescue. And during my okay. discussion with them originally, as it was a intake discussion, I said, look, there's plenty. And my head was saying, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And I said, there's plenty of ways to skin the cat. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, it's no good. You said it. That's a true story. <laughs> they, they were like, ah, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Hey, let's take a quick break. I want to, um, I want, I want to venture into what else is uncertain. And I also want to talk about in particular with you, Um, the things that you do, the newsletters, the podcasts, and things like that. So um, let's just uh, come back on the other side. Okay. Let's talk about making money because interactive brokers, you know that if you're a client of interactive brokers, you can earn up to 4.58% on your uninvested, instantly available cash balance. In fact, you really have to ask yourself, how much is your broker able to pay you? And compare IBKR's ability to pay you interest of up to 4.58% on other brokers, like, you know, whoever's out there and really wonder, you know, many of them are paying probably half. And that's just one of the many reasons that clients use interactive brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. All in one account, by the way. When placing your money with a broker, you, you need to make sure that your broker is secure and can endure through good and bad times. IBKR strong capital position, conservative balance sheet, and automated risk controls are designed to protect IBKR and its clients from large trading losses. They're prudent and, and I guess I'd say their, their conservative risk management uniquely positions them. IBKR can pay the highest interest with demonstrated security, and, and solid financial strength. Of course, we know that rates are subject to change, and Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Visit ibkr.com slash interest rates to learn more. Getting back into this discussion about uncertainty, first, I want to ask you this. The the question, you know, you do, you do, you have a, you have a uh, newsletter. Everybody has a podcast, so that's good. You have a podcast too. That's part of the thing you have to have. Um you have an investment course. Just can you run through that for me real quickly? Because I, 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 I've read some of it. I've listened to some of it, but I thought we would just get that out so that we can fully credential you here. Sure. Well, um, there's kind of two big. Well, there's three big projects that I work on. <laughs> okay. One is the Foundation for the Study of Cycles. You can learn more about us at cycles.org, cycles.org. Um, and the foundation is 80, over 80 years old now. It was founded by Edward Dewey in 1941. And I think that cycles are a very important part of markets and an important thing to, uh, that are a part of the economy and of life in general. So cycles are something I'm very interested in. And I'm chairman and CEO of the Foundation for the Study of Cycles. Uh, I talk, I kind of give my own opinions and insights at drrichardsmith.com. And then I'm developing these tools, financial tools that help people use things like correlation and exposure well, there you at, at uh, finiac.com. Finiac, like finiac.com, like, 
like Brainiac. Ah, Brainiac. Okay. But with fin- financial Brainiac. <laughs> Not financial. <laughs> Smart I finance. Yes, I got it. <laughs> right? Yeah, good, 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 good stuff. So you do some <clears throat> investment course and teach people all about this. this, is, this yes, is- I developed an investing course. I called it the seven principles of successful investing. Hmm. And um, it's a... Uh, is it like a Covey kind of thing? Because he's got a similar, the eight habits right. of Right, you know, the seven habits right. of highly effective people, right? right. right. No, right. it's I a, like it. I guess, you know, there is a bit of a, a magic to the idea of seven principles. So um, seven habits, I hadn't made that connection, but you're right, Andrew. Well, and, I mean, you don't uh, want to have like 20, yeah. 22 different principles and people can't follow it. You don't want to have three because it's not enough. Right. You got to have somewhere in between and seven is that lucky number anyway. Yep. So there you go. And so, you know, they're, um, tried to keep it simple. Yep. Right. Like, uh, one of the principles is investor know thyself. Oh, well, that's good. And I'm sure as the disciplined investor, you can appreciate that one, right? Well, that one (laughs) goes right back to your point of, uh, exposure and position sizing, because that's different for everyone. And if you, if you don't have that aligned right with where you are, you're going to fail miserably. Yeah. And if you don't know what your goals are, how long you plan to be in the markets, you know, how liquid your capital is, right? all those things are very foundational to finding your place in the markets, where you're comfortable, where you can ultimately be a strong hand, right? And not a weak hand, uh, where you can be, you know, one of the people that's going to stay at the table for a long time instead of being a patsy for the sharks. We don't want to be that. Absolutely. We don't want to be that. Yeah. Well, let's get into um, some of the uh, some of the items here that are yeah. uh, at the top of my head that grow every single day, and there's a laundry list of <laughs> items here. I mean, do you want to talk about the the latest the, the 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 ongoing banking issues that nobody knew about, seemingly, and the Fed had no idea about, and just happened out of nowhere, uh, and and where we're going with this? <laughs> yes, I don't think it's over yet, Andrew. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that. Look, the business of banking is very simple. You're borrowing short and lending long. That's so, it. Isn't that pretty much it? That's, that's it. Yeah, we don't so have to banks take in the, uh, <laughs> you know, take in deposits yes. from their depositors. Uh-huh. And they want to pay as little interest on those deposits as possible. That's true. Right? That's and they true. were getting away with that for a long time. They were hardly paying anything on our deposits. and uh, And that was, you know... That was the world we lived in when the Federal Reserve was artificially stepping on the neck of the bond market, right? And yes. keeping interest rates low. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, then banks, they don't, just, they don't just make money by you putting money in the bank, right? They have to lend that money out and they have to earn a higher rate over the long term than they pay to depositors in the short term. Mm-hmm. So they're borrowing short from depositors and they're lending long. Well, back in 2020, you know, 2019, uh, 10-year T-notes were paying, you know, 1% interest. Yeah, uh, that was that was fun. That was crazy. Yeah. That's unprecedented. You know, I have a chart of 10-year T-notes going back to 1787. Wow. Constitu- and, and, literally and, the constitution. And, okay. And, and the average for the 10 year T note is about 5%, you know, going back to the beginning of the United States. 5%. So for, so, 5%. So, right. So, and so it's the, been as high as, you know, 16, 17, 18%. Yeah, I remember those days. That was But once. to go down to 1% was just unheard of. Yes. And, um, you know, the banks that were getting a lot of deposits you know, in 1920 and 21, when stimulus checks were going out and all of a sudden, you know, people were wanted to put their money under the mattress. Uh, they were getting a lot of deposits and they had to invest that money somewhere. And so, you know, they bought longer term uh, bonds, but they were, you know, they had a very low return. So now low the return, Federal Reserve jacks right, let me, up. Let me, you know, let, me, let, me, let me interject yeah. one second. Okay. That was bad. How about that negative, was bad for a about, bank. You want to talk about bad? How about negative interest rates? Oh. Is that the most you know, insanity you've ever heard of in your life? It, uh, and somehow it's The only thing normal. I can think of that was more insane was when oil went negative. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and, and it was almost impossible to capitalize on it, right? Because it yeah. you'd have to you'd have to actually deliver at the negative $40 yeah. a barrel. Right. Yeah. It was crazy. 
But so, um, yeah, we, that was that was absolutely it. Never should have happened. So the, you know, point, the idea though, is, of negative interest rates. So the point is, you would think. I don't want to. I don't want to belabor this point though. But if you would think that the models are relatively easy to lay out, if you were the Fed and you had all these people working for you and you said, okay, listen, if we raise interest rates, it's going to cause this to happen. Just like when we lower interest rates, it causes that to happen, right? And that the banks are going to be. Uh, hopefully in a better situation if we think about a more normalized yield curve. But yet what they did was they pushed it up so fast because they screwed up that they really wrecked the system. And you would think that the Fed would have had some advanced understanding of this. It's almost like they don't. Well, this has been going on for 20 years. Right. 25 years, right? It goes back to Greenspan and you know decisions that were made to basically start to use these tools of the Federal Reserve as essentially kind of you know social policy, and right, like we're gonna we're gonna solve the social dilemma by lowering interest rates. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're gonna right? be so more diverse We're gonna you know we're gonna finance wars, <laughs> and then you know you had the the great financial crisis, and then you had the war against viruses, and all of this has. Then, you know, our our actual government has become so dysfunctional, can't get anything done, can't compromise, is polarized, is pop, populist. Um, and so the Federal Reserve has become kind of the de facto policy arm That's of sick. the federal government. It's just ridiculous. It's, it is ridiculous. It's sad. And it's very destructive. Especially because they only have a few tools to really utilize. They only it have all a is few about money. tools. And it's all about money. It, exactly. So we've entered into this world now going back to, you know, false certainty, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that somehow the Fed is always going to save us. And they always think they're right. And they've been trying and they've, they've, They've used these tools dramatically over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, at increasingly um, severe levels, right? I mean, we thought the great financial crisis was like $800 billion. Oh my goodness, yeah. that's that's crazy. And then all of a sudden during COVID, it's like $10 trillion. Unbelievable. It's that, so that, that, it just makes no sense. No sense. And um, it's nonsense, but now you have to, you know, not let the thing unravel in, you know, a waterfall, right? So you have to go on. As you're kind just of plugging the holes with your fingers. With propaganda, <laughs> essentially, yeah. to create, you know, a, 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 a misplaced sense of confidence. You know, it's crazy that the market hangs on the words of one person. One person right? and his like minions. One person and his minions, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's I call a reserve meeting day. Right. And, you know, let's, you know, then the statement comes out, but then Jerome Powell gets on TV, you know, and markets go nuts. Parsing words. I mean, is, is our whole economy based on the the opinions of one man? It's, it's and the one inflation number, one of the fun, funniest things I find, or, or maybe it's sad, is that inflation over the last several months has been, moving lower and we we beat this this horse to death what i'm about to say but mm-hmm. the idea that we have de, uh, disinflation right now and mm-hmm. how markets think that disinflation is actually something good when in fact it's just less inflation when in fact it means that we still have inflation which also means that we still have higher prices that are sticky and here to stay and that is a problem for margins is a problem for for spending for consumers it's a big problem however yeah uh the the, the thing is that we look at all these different details of what we're hanging on. I think a lot of it has to do with, as you mentioned, is the conditioning, right? It's the idea that this is what is the most important thing to be looking at. And if you know, if you didn't know anything else and you just dropped down from out of space and you started listening to some of these business programs on TV and all they talk about the whole time is, is the Fed going to increase or decrease and earnings beats, which have nothing to do with reality. It just has to do with the differential between what an analyst who probably dropped their numbers down significantly <laughs> right before the date. You know what right. I'm saying here, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you would think that's normal, but it's not normal. I've been around long enough. No. This is 20 years normal. It's not 40 years normal. And yes, I've been around in the markets, generally speaking, if you want to say I was 18 years old for 40 years. You know, the 20 years prior to this, it wasn't 
what happened? It was actually research done. It wasn't yeah. all the citadels moving things on algos. So now yeah. we have all this going on. We have the Fed that's going on. We have the banks that are crashing. There was probably something. And then involved in all yeah. this, involved in all of this, we have the potential, uh, potential of an election and the debt ceiling. Let's talk about the uncertainty of the debt ceiling that's really shaking things up. Well, again, it's another example of the dysfunction of our government, right? Like, how can we be in this position where, you know, the responsible politicians of our country can even contemplate the idea of the United States defaulting on its debt? And, um, you know, and with the divided and polarized Congress that we have, it becomes something that we can't rule out, right? Because there are essentially five, you know, six congressmen <laughs> in a narrowly divided Congress that are kind of holding, you know, the sword over, over everybody's head. You have to agree, though, and this is maybe getting outside of um, the idea of uncertainty, which we're talking about, that we have to be pretty darn certain that there's no way in hell that, you know, that, that a default really was ever going to happen right you know that we got close one time uh I, you know andrew i just feel like things have gotten very precarious and very brittle and i no longer really have confidence that something uh you know uh, uh, that that a black swan event isn't gonna happen mm. I really, you know, I it's really, um, my confidence is many, shaken. I've seen, I've seen, uh, you, you know, usually don't see any black swans. It's not supposed to be seen, right? So, right. so, but, but recently there's probably been three in the last 10 years yeah. or so. And I mean, and look, you know, I, I can criticize the, you know, the five or six conservative congressmen who are, you know, threatening to uh, blow up the United States, but at the same time, they have a point, you know, I mean, the debt is so out of control. It's absurd. It's totally it's absurd. It's so absurd that to, to take the other side of the position and say, no, we're not going to negotiate. We're just going to, you know, it's raise the debt ceiling or die, you know, is, is equally as absurd. So you just have these absurd positions that, that are, I think, kind of induced by our media environment right now, which just you know, your, your message only gets out if it's polarizing. And so that's what really worries me. It what worries is, you me know what that is? we've turned yeah. into the Republicans and Democrats and now sport teams, you know, the Republicans, yeah, yeah no better, no better, no better, no better. Yeah. You know what I'm right. saying? <laughs> right. Yes. It's, that's what it is. It's a good oh, way of they, saying you know, it. Yep. You're on the, you're on the Mets. You suck, man. You have, you know, I'm a Cubs fan. Dude, you haven't won in 22 years, but yeah, you know what? We, you know, we, we're, we're diehards no matter what we'll love the Cubs. In other words, there's no rationale for a lot of the stuff that's going on is my point. Right. I mean, like I think of, you know, God forbid if our next presidential election is between Joe Biden and Donald Trump again. That'd be fun. You know, and I'm not like getting in, I don't want to get into politics here, but like these are the best two people <laughs> we can put forward out of the whole right. they're both you know, ancient citizenry of our country. <laughs> right. You know, they're both near an 80 or over. And uh you know, and they both like they both need each other, right? Uh, so, I guess like you know, Abbott and Costello, I suppose, or Laurel like and Hardy. Abbott and Costello yeah. and Laurel and Hardy, right? right? Like there is something to the fact that these two are feeding off of each other, even though they pretend to be, mm. you know, opposite sides of the spectrum, right? But it's they're just, feeding off of yeah. each other, right? Just like you said, it's like the Republicans and the Democrats have become sports teams. It's, it's, it's really, you know? it's very Nobody's sad. thinking yeah. anymore. Nobody's actually reasoning Well, why anymore. do we get to think when well, we can get to the next topic of conversation is a uh, variety of AI, the chat GPT, the generative uh, AI style of where you don't yeah. have to think. And now you have to have companies that are coming out already on the other side with checks and balances because what's happening is that we saw a company called Chegg recently. Their mm -hmm. stock dropped off a cliff. Why? Because they came out and they said, you know, what we're finding, they do textbooks, they do um, uh, uh, educational materials because people aren't buying the textbooks anymore. Why would you need a textbook when you could just drop the information in chat GPT and turn in the answers to a test? <laughs> well, yeah. That's what they're complaining uh, about. 
And, and, and where do we well, go let's from- say, I would say their business model wasn't all that inspiring in the well, that's first place, also. Andrew. And that's true. That's, that's true also, yeah. So maybe they, maybe they got what they deserved. And look, I do think that this new technology represented by ChatGPT, okay, um, it is a powerful new technology. It's a real technology. And it is going to uh, disintermediate a lot of bad business models and a lot of bad employees, okay? Because frankly, there's a lot of businesses and a lot of people who are doing, um, you know, very uh, rote mechanical stuff that doesn't really tap into their, um, you know, their full capabilities as human beings, <laughs> Yeah, like the old receptionist model that no longer exists or the copy yeah, boy that no right. longer and exists. And unfortunately, a lot of white collar jobs are effectively, you know, receptionists. Like you're you're mm -hmm. not really doing, you're not thinking creatively, you're not taking risks, you know, you're working within a formulaic, you know, repetitive kind of- um, Like the movie Brazil. You, know, you ever see the movie Brazil? I did see the movie Brazil. Is this, what you're while, talking about? But, this is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is it, is it you Robert know, De Niro? I, I, Who was that? Was that? Uh, I don't think, no. That was Terry. I um, look this up because this Terry is a movie Summer that everybody should see. If, if I'm going to look this up as we talk, as you yeah. go through this. So I think that, you know, ChatGPT, I, I believe it's a better way of accessing information. Okay. It's a new interface to essentially everything that's online. It's yep. a new search engine, but we can use it with our natural, we can use it with natural language and it can communicate with us right. in natural language. 1986 okay? was the movie Brazil, by the way. Um, and the top actors were uh, Jonathan Price and Robert De Niro. There you oh, go. There you good go. one. Yep. Good call. Uh, but it is a fascinating movie that talks about, I guess we'd talk about the repetitiveness and the uh, the mundaneness kind of, of, like of work, assembly right? line, you know, and, and I think that where we're at, you know, Henry Ford pioneered the assembly line for automobiles back at the beginning of, you know, the 20th century. And I think that chat GPT is kind of the industrialization and the assembly line, uh, ization, if you could say such a thing of ideas and of knowledge. Okay. ChatGPT isn't creating new knowledge, but it is giving better access to existing knowledge. So we have like better components to work with to build the cars of our ideas, right? The automobiles of the mind, if you will. Right. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does make kind of make it um, like everybody will have a better car than they had before. But does right? it make everybody dumber? But that's the question. <laughs> Yeah, I think that ultimately it's going to, well, I think a lot of people are already dumb. Okay, thank you. Like, that's kind of you what said it. I'm saying. I said it. <laughs> like, we're, and, you know, we're not really using our talents and capacities in challenging and, um, you know, creative ways. And uh, why should we, if we have universal in basic income and if we have yeah. stimulus and we have the fact that you can't be fired under certain circumstances and right. everybody's equal, no matter what you do and equal opportunities, no matter who you are, what your smarts are and all that, it all depends yeah. on the color of your skin or your religion or your whatever. I mean, these are things yeah. that I think that are in the background, right? Of some yeah. of the fact that why bother? Yeah. And when you put it that way, it's like, I'm not saying I believe in all ourselves. that by the way, but I'm saying that's what I think a lot of people think about. We only have ourselves to blame. Mm. So let's get back to, let's uh, make a, a, a back to this, the, the idea. I, I have like, you know, earnings outlook and all the uncertainty, you know, Fed plan, mm -hmm. oh, sorry. North Korea, who the hell knows what's going on? The election's coming up. Eventually, who knows? <laughs> wow, you want to cover it we all. We got the dollar destruction everybody's talking about, right? The the potential of a loss of, of, of you know, we've all this, it almost seems De-dollarization. Like the de-dollarization, which is maybe happening or maybe not happening. I guess it is happening. Uh, yeah. No, no mention of the war. It's more headline than uh, than reality. Yeah, but the, so the point here is the summation is there's a lot of uncertainties. The, there the, is the second point is I'm I'm sure what you're not you're not saying is run for the hills and put yourself under the bed uh, and let's wait till the monster's clear. That's not how you act either because if you did that, you'll never come out of them from under the bed, right? 
<laughs> well, I do live in the hills now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but closest neighbor, but, twenty-two miles away. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's not twenty-two miles. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I I live in the hills partly because I do feel like um, you know we need to connect. We we need to get more local in our lives, mm-hmm. and I think that the kind of the the idea of everybody living online, you know, right. yeah. is, is, yeah. is not a very good idea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like a two dimensional reality for a three dimensional being. I don't know if that's going to change because the kids these days, when I say kids, you know, the younger generations, they would prefer if they're, if they're standing uh, anywhere near you to actually text rather than talk to you or make a call. Well, I think that isn't going to be sustainable. And I think that people are tiring of it. I think it's actually kind of exhausting to live online. And I think that it's actually leading to a lot of mental illness. And I think that people are, you know, not not in mass yet, but increasingly people are saying, you know, I got to unplug, I got to do something different. And... And when that when they do do that, they're finding that it's better. Mm. So I am skeptical that this technology driven, um, you know, ever since the internet, this increasingly, you know, technology centered lives that we're all living Mm -hmm. is, I'm skeptical that it's sustainable. I see a lot of uh, burnout. I see a lot of exhaustion. Uh, I see a lot of dissatisfaction and which brings me to chat GPT and, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, AI is going to take over, (laughs) you know, it's, it's just not true. You know, I see it as kind of the last gasp of this, you know, technological utopia, um, uh, hype dream that we've been in pursuit of you know, certainly for the past 20, 25 years. So we don't have to worry about Skynet or Arnold Schwarzenegger appearing naked. Well, see, look, here's the issue. No, here's the issue. That artificial intelligence cannot do that. We'll never do it. Okay. There's no, there's not an inkling of evidence that we have seen anything that somebody might be able to call artificial general intelligence, something that actually is intelligent on its own without human beings being behind it, okay? The risk, Andrew, isn't that you actually get, you know, Skynet and, and Terminator. The risk is that people will believe that artificial intelligence is capable of that, and they'll actually allow a few people who are behind the artificial intelligence to then control their thoughts. Ah. So artificial intelligence won't do it, but a few people, if we allow ourselves to believe that somehow this is truly intelligent and that we should submit to it and we should step down and let it, you know, do things for us and, uh, you know, and accept the universal basic income. If we get into that mindset, if we start as a society, I mean, I I will never accept that, but if as a society in mass, that starts to be an accepted idea, then you truly will have, you know, a few people who are actually in control of that so-called artificial intelligence controlling, you know, most of the economy. And you will have, you know, a divide between the haves and the have-nots, the likes of which, you know, we've never seen in history. Uh, I can see that happening very easily, by the way, from the the gatekeepers of who keep the data, who keeps the data. I mean, I'm sorry to say it. It Yeah, it seems like, you know, right now. I'm sighing because I, uh, (laughs) you know, I can't disagree. (laughs) Right. Dr. Richard Smith, thank you for joining me this time and every time on the Discipline Investor Podcast. We're going to put the information on how to get the information on your podcast and your your your, your yeah. newsletter as well as your Great. investment courses, all that good stuff on the show notes for episode number 817 of the Discipline Investor on discipleinvestor.com. You want to shout out again your website and all that? DrRichardSmith.com, DrRichardSmith.com, and Cycles.org, Cycles.org. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Always great to speak with you. Thanks. And there we end it on an up note, even though we pretty much 
thrashed most people out there. And Dr. Smith was uh, giving us his opinions and I was throwing in mine. And in the end, we have uh, little confidence that the world is going to be a better place if, if we continue on the path that we're, we're, we're going on. However, we both also did say, and I think we both agreed to the fact that it's hard to think that way and it's not really beneficial. And in addition to that, there's no reason just to hide under the, under the covers with all this going on because we've been through all of this before. And somehow on the other side, we come through. And if you want to talk about resiliency, that's great. If you want to talk about the fact that, 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 that there is a side to all of us and to maybe some others that can only see some of the bad and not see the good through, well, that's possible. Bottom line to all this is that there is a silver lining. That time does heal all wounds and things do cycle around and get better and worse. And I think we're in for better times. Maybe not right now, but I think that if we put our our smarts on and get our heads screwed on right and we do the right things that we are talking about, the disciplines, right? The, the, the fact that we want to be smart on what we're doing and look at our trade positioning and sizing and understand the, the volatility and the deviations and stand deviations and maybe even downside deviation or maybe even just the, the, the beta, if we will, of our investments and how they impact us and how we do what we do with them. And if we're making good decisions, that's what it's all about right now. The fact is that over all the time, from the depression till today, there have been so many times we could have said almost every day, it's not a good time to invest. Now, maybe on a daily basis, that is true. But over time, that changes. Over time, we go from bottom left to top right. And I think that's important. Consider that as we take this to a close this week. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. I'll see you again next week with a great guest that we're talking banking with from an insider. going to be very interesting. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.